From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, a special holiday edition of Washington Watch, looking back at our Pray Vote Stand Summit this past October. How should Christians engage in politics? What does that look like? We'll hear from a practitioner, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He'll talk about the need for faith in public policy and how that should lead Christians to be involved and to advocate for religious freedom, both here at home and abroad. And speaking of standing, what does that look like in the life of an ordinary American? Well, Al Robertson, host of the Unashamed podcast, shared his story at the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Now, you probably know something about him and his family from their show, Duck Dynasty, but you may not know the whole story. Well, stay tuned, and you will. All that coming up on this special edition of Washington Watch. By the way, if you have not yet done so, you can check out all of the amazing content from the summit at prayvotestand.org slash summit. All of the panels and speakers are archived there. We had political leaders, activists, and religious leaders. And all of that, again, is at prayvotestand.org slash summit. Okay, let's talk about faith and public policy. The left hates nothing more. The left wants to secularize everything. They try to intimidate and ridicule any public official who ever publicizes the fact they're a Christian. That is, anyone for whom faith is not just a label, but a way of life. But there are those who boldly hold to their faith regardless of the criticism. And one of those men is Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State under President Donald Trump, who advanced the United States as a world leader in protecting religious freedom. Before that, he served as director of the CIA and as a member of Congress from Kansas. We had a conversation at the Pray Vote Stand Summit, and here it is. Secretary, I just want to ask you about the issue of faith. I mean, that's what we're talking about here this week, and it's integration with our public walk. You did that so well. Well, Tony, first of all, thanks for giving me this opportunity. It's great to be with you. I can feel the energy from where I am, so God bless you all. Uh, it's absolutely imperative that those of us who, who understand the history of our nation, our Judeo-Christian founding, and who share a faith in Jesus Christ, uh, don't, ever, don't ever suggest to anyone that those two can fundamentally be separated in the way that so many on the left want to do that. I, uh, I tried to live this every day. It doesn't mean I got it right every day. My goodness, uh, we made mistakes all along the way. But every day we, 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 we worked, my wife and I. I, I turned to the Bible every day, I prayed every day. You, you all talk about pray, vote, stand. Every day I tried to stand for the things that uh, were right for America, but knowing all the while that while these, it was important because America is the most exceptional nation in history to get it right for our country, that there was a, a higher purpose, that there, were, there, was, there was a man in charge uh, and if we got that piece of it wrong, if we if we walked away from that central understanding of Jesus Christ as our Savior, then there was nothing that was going to be possible. We wouldn't be successful in delivering the things that every human being needed America to deliver. But that mindset has not been something that's been prevalent at the State Department. In fact, there's <laughs> been this secular mindset which has, I think, quite frankly, has made foreign policy difficult for us as a country because 80% of the world sees events through some lens of, of faith. 
Well, Tony, you've seen it up close and personal working on these religious freedom issues yourself, uh, serving on the commission. Uh, it is it is really important that uh, the leader of the State Department do this, but not just the leader, that people all across the State Department get this right. And for an awful long time, that's not been the case. I think it's true throughout all of our government. We have secularized in a way that presents real risk to our republic. And this isn't just about Christians. We worked hard to promote religious freedom for Baha'is and for Muslims. Uh, I worked diligently on behalf of the Uyghur Muslims in Western China to try and create space for them and to convince the Chinese Communist Party to cease their abusing of them because of their faith, right? This is the reason that they are being attacked the same way that Christians in China are being attacked. It is absolutely imperative. Countries can see this, whether they're Islamic countries or the state of Israel, the Jewish homeland, they respect people who are disciplined in their faith, who defend it, who are accepting and tolerant of everyone who wants to practice their faith, and even of those who choose not to practice theirs, but permit the people to worship in the way that they so desire. Those are the countries that have proven successful over time. It's the work that we did, and the State Department made real progress on this during my time. I think it's, I think it's most unfortunate that I'm guessing that most of the work that we did will uh, try to be undone by this administration. Well, you also shortly, I mean, within months of coming to the State Department, hosted the first ever uh, meeting on international religious freedom uh, there at the State Department. It had, uh, I think, 110 different countries or more, maybe, uh, for that first gathering. Uh, I will say this, uh, in fact, was having a conversation earlier today with uh, an ambassador from another country, and uh, I think that work has gained some traction with other countries that uh, know that this is important to America, even though it may not be important to this administration. <clears throat> I think we made real a difference in lots of countries in the world. Not all of them have the, the standard for religious freedom that we do here. They don't have. They're not backed up by a constitution, a First Amendment that protects our right to do that, and a, an enforcement set of tools that that can protect it. Um, but we made real progress in lots of small places across the world. And we we worked to uh, defend and help persecuted peoples all across the world, persecuted Christians in Iraq, the work that we did in uh, Myanmar and Burma. Uh, these were important places where we actually made a difference. Uh, you know, the, you talked about this gathering for religious leaders. Tony, you were there at the first one and, and at the second one that we did. Uh, it's really unfortunate. These were the largest human rights gatherings ever at the State Department. And this year, we, we tried to repeat it, but we had to do it in the private sector. We had to do it outside of the State Department. And that's great. In the end, our faith institutions need to stand on their own two feet. But in the end, our United States government also has a, a proper role in promoting religious freedom around the world. So it's unfortunate that our current leadership in the United States uh, doesn't value this nearly as highly as they value working on climate change and a host of other issues that have been raised and promoted well above the simple ask of every nation to permit their own people to worship in the way that they so choose. Mike, in the wake of what happened in Afghanistan, the debacle there in the, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, you mentioned China. Are, are you, do you have a greater concern about China today than when uh, you were Secretary of State? Tony, I do, uh, but it probably, I, I would say two things. One, not, not directly related to Afghanistan, at least in the short run. China will certainly benefit 
from the debacle that was our departure from Afghanistan. And for any veterans or, or moms and dads who have kids that are serving, uh, please go home and thank them for what they did in Afghanistan. Uh, it was amazing work. It was noble work. It kept the United States safe for two decades, and they should be proud of the work that they did in Afghanistan. We should, we should never forget that the terrible... I saw it with my own two eyes. I saw the, the takedown terror plots that might well have come to our shores. Uh, bless them for every inch that they gave the United States and the risk that they took. We shouldn't let the debacle undermine that good work. Um, it will certainly be the case the countries in the region, and that includes China that has a significant border with Afghanistan, will be emboldened. Uh, but I must say a, a, a bigger ramification is really the second level which is what the Chinese saw in Afghanistan was an administration that wasn't prepared to live up to American promises and defend American interests. They saw it when, uh, when they saw first when the Iranians launched missiles into Israel out of the Gaza Strip, and the United States did little but issue a press release. And then the Russians wanted to build a pipeline, uh, putting Europe at risk, and this administration said, yep, go, go ahead and do that. And now you can see, you can see the Chinese Communist Party in Bolden. They've flown more than 150 airplanes into Taiwanese air defense zone in the last week alone. Uh, they are testing the world. They're testing this administration. And a, a press release or a statement is not going to stop Xi Jinping. He killed 3 million people by covering up a virus. He is not going to left a press release from the United States Department of Made stop him from what he views as the important effort to bring Taiwan into the Chinese Communist Party's fold. We could go down a list of just what's happened in the last nine months that runs counter to what you were doing when you were Secretary of State and what the previous administration did, but I, I don't want to go that, down that route. We can read the paper and see all of that. I, I want to focus rather on giving you the opportunity to, to, to speak to these men and women of faith from across the country that are gathered here in Leesburg, Virginia, really the epicenter of a battle over public education and the indoctrination of our children. What is the word of encouragement and of challenge that you have for these folks here? Well, I'm enormously encouraged, Tony. Uh, I've traveled now all across the country these last eight and a half months. I've done 45 or 50 different uh, events where I've had the chance to meet and talk to folks and the energy is enormous. You have pray, vote, stand. I promise you, every one of those people is going to vote. I know they were all praying. We prayed together. And I, I want to spend just a minute talking about stand, because I've seen something that I haven't seen since, frankly, 2010, when I first ran for Congress, when, uh, when we saw what Barack Obama was trying to do to the country, uh, a radical pro-abortion left-wing social agenda I think people can see that this is what the Biden administration is bringing as well. And so stand. I've seen people say, Mike, I've never been to a school board meeting. My kids are out of school. I'm going to run for school board. Seen people say, I've never been to a city council meeting or a PTA meeting before. I'm going to go. I think, I think Americans all across this country saw uh, that what's going on in our educational institutions, certainly in our K through 12 schools and in our colleges and universities, I think they can see that this undermines our republic when you're teaching the 1619 Project and not the idea of our history and our Bible and our founding. This is really dangerous for our country. And so it is, it is a thrill for me 
to see people to gather together tonight, both in person and online, who are prepared to stand. I know you'll all go vote, but prepared to stand, prepared to say, no, that's just not right. We're not going to let them bring that garbage into our schools. We're not going to we're not going to let them undermine our nation. The idea that our nation was founded as a racist country is fundamentally inconsistent with what we know our history to be. And when we have governors say that, you know, the bars can be open, but our churches have to be closed, we're just not going to let that go on. Right. And I, I see enormous energy all across the country, people who are standing, who are just simply saying, enough, I'm, I'm going to get engaged, I'm, I'm going to defend the truth that I know, that my Bible teaches me. And I am convinced, I'm convinced that there will be a, a, a renaissance, a, a revival all across America of good people, faithful people all across this country, standing up to reclaim their nation and put us on the path so that the next 245 years can be just as exceptional as our nation's first 245. You're listening to a special edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. You've been uh, listening to an interview with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo from our Pray Vote Stand Summit this past October. If you want to hear more from the summit, well, visit prayvotestand.org slash summit. We've got all the speakers archived there. That's prayvotestand.org slash summit. Coming up next, more from the summit. Al Robertson will share his story and explain why praying, voting, and standing isn't just for elected officials, but for all Americans. You don't want to miss Al's story. That's next on Washington Watch. Don't go away. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Do you believe in angels? Have you ever seen or heard one speak? Listen to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel, Gabriel, was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. You know, the angel Gabriel, who was a messenger, gave an announcement that changed the world for eternity. He assured Mary that she was about to experience God's plan to bring salvation to the world. And through the angel, he told Joseph that he was also part of this plan. And you know, the shepherds, they heard the voice of the angels too. Throughout the Bible, angels have been used to convey messages from God. Some were warnings, some joyful announcements. God speaks in a variety of ways through His Word, through His Holy Spirit, or He might just speak through an angel. The point is, do we listen? Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at HopeForTheHome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home.
Christians in China, they're crying out for the word. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. Let me tell you about Haio. He was an interrogator with the police department outside of Beijing, China. His job was to come down hard on pastors, jail them, beat them, humiliate them. But I can tell you, God had a different plan. He would go to the doorstep of one of the men that he had beaten, a man by the name of Katsu, and he would ask him, how are you at such peace when we were beating you severely? And so this man, Katsu, would open his door, open his Mandarin Bible, and lead this bitter atheist to faith in Christ. And would you know it, together, they've seen literally thousands and thousands come to Christ in that part of China. But in their house church movement of quite a few churches, there's only about one or two Bibles. Hey, listen, we want to be able to bless these Christians at Christmas so they can read for themselves the Christmas story. Would you do that at only $5 a Bible? You can do that by calling 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or you can give at sendbiblesnow.org, sendbiblesnow.org. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website is TonyPerkins.com, and this is a special holiday edition of Washington Watch, looking back at our Pray Vote Stand Summit in October. Hey, by the way, FRC is uh, reaching the end of our two-year Bible reading plan. We're starting over at the beginning of January, and I encourage you to walk through the Bible with us just takes about 10 or 15 minutes a day. To find out how you and your family can participate along with thousands of others, go to frc.org slash Bible. All right, as I mentioned, today is a special edition of Washington Watch. We're broadcasting some of the highlights from our Pray Vote Stand Summit this past October. If you haven't had a chance to uh, look at all that, all the content can be found at prayvotestand.org slash summit. Well, in the last segment, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the only way to turn America around is with revival. But we can't get revival without prayer. Following Secretary Pompeo at the Pray Vote Stand Summit, Al Robertson addressed this in his speech. When he's not making duck calls, Al is the host of Unashamed Podcast. Why is it called Unashamed? Well, he tells us. Just listen. Well, thank you. We have uh, senators, secretaries, and bearded rednecks. We got it all, right? After uh, listening to uh, Mike Pompeo, I was thinking, boy, I miss that guy, don't you? I mean, that's the guys we need back uh, in power. And it's going to happen. Lord willing, it's going to happen with our help. So uh, I want you to continue to be praying for him and others. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Are there any more unashamed people in this house tonight? Am I the only one? Are are there some more unashamed people? You know, they approached us at uh, Blaze TV where dad has a show called In the Woods. And they said, you know, we want to do a podcast with your dad, but we feel like we're pretty much covered with Blaze on political commentary and conservative commentary. And so we're looking for something biblical and spiritual. Do you think you guys could do that? And I said, do you think we can do that? We were born to do that. And that's what we've done. And because now we're opening up the word of God, we first started out with the gospel because that's where we go first to last, right? 
Then we went with an overview of the Bible. Now we study the book of John, the book of Acts, the book of Romans. We're in the book of Matthew. And we're teaching the Word of God to millions of Americans whose lives are changing. Not bad, huh? <clears throat> Not bad for a group of bearded duck hunters who found their way to fame and national television. But the real secret was, and don't tell A&E anybody, we were really sons and daughters of the Almighty God with a plan to be able to let America and the world know how great our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ really is. And that's what you're seeing played out to this very day. I love the new framing, pray, vote, stand. It impacted me when Tony first told me about this, this phrase and, and now this, this cry for America. I thought, this is something we can do. We can do this, and we can do this together. About three weeks ago, I was asked to speak in a field in Pennsylvania, not very far from where an airplane crashed into the ground. In 20 years, we were going back to say thank you for some Americans just like you and I who woke up to go to work, to go on vacation, to go someplace, thinking that this day would be like any other day, but it wasn't. It was a day that obviously was the last day of their lives, and it was a day that changed our lives and our destiny. I've always been amazed by that day, and especially by one man, Todd Beamer, who was on that plane. If you know Todd's story, and his wife Lisa wrote a wonderful book, you'll know that he was a, a, a dedicated believer of the Almighty, he was a Christian who wasn't afraid. He was unashamed. And as he called 911 to try to get connected to his wife, and, but couldn't, he had a 13-minute conversation. And in that conversation, and what are the odds that he would find a 911 operator that knew the Lord's Prayer? And he asked her if she would quote that prayer with him. And she did. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That prayer was the fuel that sent Todd Beamer and three other people into the cockpit of that plane and defeated evil intent that day. It would cost them their lives, but what was saved was our capital possibly or some other institution, as well as more destruction of evil. His famous last words heard on that phone call, let's roll. Prayer can change destiny. Prayer can open up opportunities for any of us. That day they lived Revelation 12, 11. There was triumph in that moment. They triumphed over evil by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony that we're still talking about 20 years later. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back even from death. Jesus says, don't worry about the one that can take your body. Worry about the one that can take your soul. Our soul is an open doorway to communicate with the creator of the universe. We can't be stopped. 
We can be thwarted. We can be attacked. We can look at evil and see what it is, but we cannot be stopped. You know why? Because we are not going to go into the ground and stay there. In Christ Jesus, we have the opportunity to live forever. And once a person knows that, you're not going to be able to stop them with the typical ways that you would stop someone else. We are unstoppable if we really believe in prayer. Pray is the perfect way to start. Pray, vote, stand. You are listening to a special edition of Washington Watch, looking back at some of our content from the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit this past October. Now, all of the panels and speakers are archived at prayvotestand.org. All right, don't go away because we're coming back with more of Al Robertson right after this. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia. How do we know where the balance is between saving more money or paying off our debt? Well, it's a difficult question to answer, but I'll say this, that it's about prioritizing. Look, you've got to want and work hard to get out of debt. There's no doubt about it. But if you're working to get out of debt, you're doing nothing as far as savings goes, you're setting yourself up to getting in more debt. You have to balance it. Take one credit card or one piece of debt at a time, usually the smallest one, so that you can feel like you're accomplishing something. And if you have discretionary income every month of say, oh, $50, then you need to find a balance of putting some of that towards the debt, maybe $25 and the other $25 into savings. See, I don't think it's a good idea to sacrifice either one of them. I think you have to find a good balance to try to accomplish both. Make sure that you continue to save as you're paying off your debt. Now, at some point in time, you're likely to build your savings to where it's adequate to where you feel as though, hey, if my transmission goes or whatever the situation is, I'll be able to pay for it. And you can commit a little bit more to getting out of debt. The other thing is, look at what you're cutting out of your lifestyle and anything that you cut out of your lifestyle, put that towards your debt as well. Experience Dan Celia in person. Find a faith, family, and finance town hall meeting or seminar near you at afafoundation.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And you are listening to a special holiday edition of Washington Watch, looking back at our October Pray Vote Stand Summit. Now, before the break, we left off with Al Robertson talking about what it means to pray. By the way, Al has one of these stand mugs made in the USA. And if you would like to order one, you can. Go to TonyPerkins.com and you can have your own stand mug as well. I also encourage you to download FRC Stand Firm app. You can listen to Washington Watch on the app and read the latest from the FRC team no matter where you are. More importantly, you'll get alerts at the federal and state level so you can take action on important issues. Go to uh, frc.org app and type in Stand Firm. 
uh, or just go to the App Store and you can get it there as well. All right, with the far left pushing their anti-biblical agenda and seeking to silence conservative voices, our shared values face many challenges. But you can make a difference by partnering with FRC to reach millions of Americans with truth and biblical perspective. And thanks to a challenge match by our friends of FRC, your gift will have double the impact if it's received by December 31st. You'll join a growing number of Americans who are rejecting the far left's radical social agenda. So go to TonyPerkins.com to join and be a part of defending faith, family, and freedom in America. And now Al Robertson continues sharing his story, explaining why and how he first got involved in voting and why it's important for every Christian. What about vote? I thought about the very first time that I ever voted. It was interesting for me because I came to political awareness at the same time I came to spiritual awareness. When I got to 14 years old, up until that point, I thought that my mom and dad knew everything. They were geniuses. And then at 14, something happened inside my mind and then I thought they knew nothing. <laughs> and that I was a genius. And so for four years, I lived in that world, and it was not good. I was not a genius. I was an idiot. <laughs> and then amazingly, at 18, as a prodigal, when I came home, literally home from New Orleans, where I had been living this terrible lifestyle, I realized that they really were geniuses. And the reason why is because their faith in Jesus Christ was an open doorway for a lost son to come home. They met me in the yard, the same one you saw on our show in Duck Dynasty. They didn't allow me to give my speech that I had prepared. They didn't read me a list of all the things I'd done wrong. My dad said, welcome home, Al. We got duck calls to build. That was it. Grace in the form of duck calls for me. That night, we killed a fattened catfish and had a celebration. because a lost son had come home. And so in the summer of 1983, my life was changed now. And I also became politically aware because there was a, a man in the White House that I'd been following even through my lifestyle that wasn't good. And I saw that he really did have a vision for America that was amazing. His name was Ronald Reagan. Yeah, Reagan deserves a round. So once I had clarity of mind, I knew that I could not wait to get registered to vote because in 1984, my first lever to pull was going to be for the re-election of Ronald Reagan. What was amazing was my parents, they had not been politically involved at all, so they weren't even registered to vote. Nor was my girlfriend that I was dating at the time, so all four of us went down and registered Republican, of course, <laughs> to vote for Ronald Reagan. I voted for Ronald Reagan on November 6th 1984. Three days later, I married that girlfriend, and we have not missed an election since. That's what it's about, right? Voting is how we have to change America because that's our system. Now, as we know, the evil one, he came to kill, steal, and destroy. And so there's going to be all kind of shenanigans that happen in our system. 
but we're still called upon to show that that system has worked for 275 years. And therefore, not only should we vote, but we've got to get more people to vote, and we've got to try to make elections to be honest, where you know when someone casts a vote, that's the vote that's put in. And so that's got to be part of what we do on us. But the last word, that's the one for me, to stand, to take that stand. I remember the first time, well, actually, I don't remember it, but I've been told about it. The first time I ever took a stand, it was in front, it was in front of a bathroom door in a little small trailer where my mom and my dad and two of my brothers and myself lived right outside of a bar right on the Arkansas-Louisiana line. This point, dad's life was out of control. Mom was at the point of total depression. And she, as she was sitting in that bathroom crying, as she did many nights, she said for the first time, she thought, you know what, it would be better if I didn't wake up tomorrow than if I did. Those of you that watch our show, could you believe Miss Kay would ever have those thoughts? And yet she did. And she said she heard shuffling feet come to the bathroom door because in a small trailer, you don't miss anything, right? She heard those feet, those little house slippers come to the door. And she says, and I don't remember, I knocked on that door. You're listening to a special holiday edition of Washington Watch, and I'm your host, Tony Perkins. We're broadcasting some of the highlights from our Pray Vote Stand Summit this past October. By the way, you can check all the content out at Stand dot org slash summit all right don't go away because we're coming back with more al robertson on the other side of this break god is the author of life and has created man in his image therefore we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death that is why family research council works to pass federal and state legislation that highlights this principle including laws that protect the unborn To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level, including those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. Stay informed on where your state stands on pro-life legislation. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. God does not want us to live as hypocrites. God wants us to live transformed all the way down to who we are. He wants us to live from the inside out. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his special message, The Inward Journey, on the next Turning Point Weekend Edition. Listen to Turning Point, Sunday mornings at 7 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. So Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. 
find the podcast at AFR.net. This is a Decency Minute. I'm Bill Johnson. Wrapping paper put behind us, we may look back and think of the gifts we receive. Yet, regardless of the technology, fun games, or other presents, nothing tops the gifts that God gives. His two greatest gifts are those of life and eternal life. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, you've been given the beautiful gift of life. Don't take it for granted. Millions have received the gift of life from God, only to have it snuffed out by man before having the chance to live. If you're hearing my voice, you have an opportunity for eternal life as well. As the book of Titus reads, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Dear listener, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and be saved. Cry out to him. He is our only hope. This is a Decency Minute. I'm Bill Johnson. Welcome back to this special holiday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you. The website, TonyPerkins.com. By the way, at the website, I mentioned you can order one of these FRC stand mugs. It's right there at the website, TonyPerkins.com. Check it out. And speaking of uh, websites, uh, there's some information you need to find out at FRC.org slash Bible. FRC is reaching the end of our two-year Bible reading plan. We're starting over beginning January the 1st. Great time to join with us, and I want to encourage you to do that. We'll have thousands of people uh, walking through the Bible with us over the next two years. only takes 10 to 15 minutes a day. Again, to find out more, go to frc.org slash Bible. All right, we're picking back up with Al Robertson's speech from our Pray Vote Stand Summit this past October. If you miss any of it, you can find it later at prayvotestand.org slash summit. Here's Al. The first time I ever took a stand, it was, in front, it was in front of a bathroom door in a little small trailer where my mom and my dad and two of my brothers and myself lived right outside of a bar right on the Arkansas-Louisiana line. This point, dad's life was out of control. Mom was at the point of total depression. And she, as she was sitting in that bathroom crying, as she did many nights, she said for the first time, she thought, you know what, it would be better if I didn't wake up tomorrow than if I did. Those of you that watch our show, could you believe Miss Kay would ever have those thoughts? And yet she did. And she said she heard shuffling feet come to the bathroom door because in a small trailer, you don't miss anything, right? She heard those feet, those little house slippers come to the door. And she says, and I don't remember, I knocked on that door. I was seven years old. And I said, Mom? And she said, yeah, I'll be out in just a minute. I said, God's going to take care of us. And the devil's going to leave our daddy one day. That was my word. That was my stand. I realize now, of course, I was a seven-year-old boy. That was a message straight from the Holy Spirit to a heart that needed to hear it. And I didn't know that I was the conduit, but I was. Now that I've been a pastor all these years, I didn't know that that was my first sermon at that door. (laughs) And I got a response. If I'd only known I could pass a tray under there and get some contribution. (laughs) My stand, not knowing 
being an innocent child, galvanized my mom. She said, when I said those words, she thought to herself, Kay, what are you thinking? You've got three lives depending on you, whether Phil gets it straightened out or not. You can't give up. You can't throw in the towel. You have to stand for these kids and for what's right. And she did. And she became a Christian. She embraced Christ and said, now at least I have someone I can depend on. And she did. And our lives did not get better. They got worse. Because that just highlighted how bad dad was. And so he took that out on her. It was not good. Until one day, he came to his senses. And that prodigal came home at 28 years old. And he told mom, I miss my family. And she said in a galvanizing moment by taking a stand, Phil, we love you. The boys love you. We miss you. We want you to be with us, but not like you are. Something has to change. And now he's crying, which my dad doesn't do a lot of crying. And he said, Miss Kay, I want to, but I don't trust anybody. I don't know how to start. And she said, let me tell you about a man that someone told me about that you can always trust in. And once he heard about that man and once he embraced in faith what Jesus had done, it changed him. My dad went from the biggest heathen in South Arkansas and North Louisiana to John the Baptist overnight. <laughs> and he's still going strong. I mean, think about it. It really is like John the Baptist. I mean, he looks strange. He eats strange things. And he points people to Jesus. That's what he does. I remember a few years after that, I was working for the company. It was before I went to seminary. And we went to New Orleans. It was my first trip back. That's where I'd been. I'd been terrible, bad lifestyle. And I was nervous about going back to the city. A lot of bad memories there. But we were going to sell duck calls. And we were in the Superdome. And there were a lot of Cajuns there, and we had us a booth set up, and we were blowing calls, and they were coming by and saying, oh, that don't matter. He's good. He's good. <laughs> and so Dad got the opportunity to do a duck call demonstration. So he's standing on a stage, and I'm off to the side, and there's about 400 Cajuns there, and they're all enjoying them some Anheuser-Busch beer. Because above Dad, there was this huge sign that said, Anheuser-Busch, king of beers. And so dad does his duck call demonstration and the Cajuns are listening and they're loving it and the beer is flowing. And so I'm watching dad and he does his duck calls and it's really good as always. And then he kind of paused. And I saw him reach in his bag and he pulled out his Bible and he just held it up. And I mean, it got quiet. The beers began to go behind the legs. <laughs> I mean, man broke out a Bible, right? Dad said, I tell you what, oh, Anheuser-Busch, he's hanging here above me. That sign is true. He is the king of beers. I had a mini one back in the day, boys. But you know what? That led me to a lot of mischief. And everybody looked, you know, and they thought, oh, where are you going with this? And then he held that Bible up and he said, but I got introduced to the king of kings and the king of kings trumps the king of beers any day.
And so he, then he shared the gospel with them. And they didn't know whether to clap, whether to run out screaming. They didn't know what to do. And dad walked off stage. And I remember I was just shocked. And I thought, man, dad just went for it. <laughs> and there was a man there, and his name was Dubasson. And he was selling our duck calls for us. He said, Phil, Phil, you can't do that. You can't do that. And dad said, do what, Dubasson? You can't mix religion in your business. You'll lose both. And in that moment, I looked at dad and I thought, what's he going to say about this? And dad looked at Dubasson. He said, Dubasson, did you not hear what I was just talking about? Did you miss the point about the resurrection of the dead? Did you miss the point about your sins being forgiven and removed forever? Did you miss that point that he's going to come back? Without Jesus Christ, I would have no business. I will be unashamed until I die. And that galvanized a teenage son because in that moment I thought, we don't have to be afraid of anything because we serve a living God. And of course, that means our business, that means what we do, that means our politics, that means our friendships, that means our social media. It means this is who we are. And it doesn't matter that they're trying to take it away. They can't take it away. It's always tempting to want to be popular, to want to be a unifier, to want to come up with solutions to complex problems. I mean, all those things in our culture, it's tempting. And when I think about those moments when I think, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that, that passage is just a little bit strong and maybe we shouldn't just lay it out there so clearly. When that temptation arises, I think about Jesus standing on a mountain and Satan is there with him. And I think about them looking out over all the splendor of the earthly kingdoms and I think about Satan proudly proclaiming that all this belongs to him. And then looking at Jesus and offering a deal. A deal to take a shortcut to salvation. To help these poor people. A deal that only will mean that we hold hands if only you'll bow the knee to me. That was the deal that was offered to our Lord and Savior, the Son of God. And what was his response? Because it's galvanizing. It still rings loudly to this very day as we're here tonight in Leesburg, Virginia. Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We can't hold hands we can't, for the sake of some sort of unity, say that truth is not truth. That's what's gotten us to this point to begin with. Our founders understood that. I mean, not all of them, you know, believed at the level of some other people, but they understood that about this great place, this great experiment. It was built on the foundation of God. And we can never leave that truth. If we do, if we say we can accept your truth and your truth and this decade, this is what it is, and next decade is something different, you see where that goes. But you know, I, I love my enemies. 
I don't want to defeat them as much as I want to win them so that they can understand and know what I know. We are saved. Freedom came because of the Creator. America only opened up some more doors. We can never bend the knee. Last summer, summer before last, it became very popular for people to bow the knee to a group of anarchists. People got down on the knees. And I remember saying then, I told our congregation, I told our church, I will bow the knee to no one and no ideology. I bow the knee to one, Jesus Christ. That's who I bow the knee to. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I don't want to do what the left does. That's terrible. It's horrible. I want to show them that our way is the right way because God gave it to us. Keep a clear conscience, Peter would say. And I got to say, as I stand before you tonight, my conscience is clear because I bow my knee to the Almighty, to his son, Jesus Christ. I love all men and women. You wouldn't believe. Every time I do an event for Tony, how many people say I'm a hater? I'm not a hater. I'm a lover. My dad gave me the greatest love speech ever when he said, Al, if you continue on the path of your own, you can't stay here and live. You're just going to have to get out there and go for it. At the time, I thought, man, he doesn't like me very much. What I didn't realize, he loved me with everything he had. I was the one that was living a life not of love. Love speaks truth, and truth speaks love. We do this because we want our nation to be great. Not terrible and divided. This whole thing and all the race baiting and everything that's going on, it's all meant to divide and keep us divided. In Jesus Christ, we find unity because of the blood that he shed on the cross. There's no color in that. Only him. Some guys that do t-shirts listen to our podcast. And I told them, because somebody says something about Jesus being white. I said, Jesus was from Israel. He's a person of color. That's the frame you want to use or the phrase you want to use. And after that, they, they sent me a T-shirt that said, I worship a man of color. And I love it because I do. I do. But it doesn't matter about color because the only color that matters to me is the red blood that was shed on the cross that brings us together in him. In honor of my dad, I brought my Bible, and I want to close with a prayer. Pray, vote, stand. And this is not my prayer. It's Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven, in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And the assembly says, amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. You've been listening to a special holiday edition of Washington Watch. We just wrapped up with Al Robertson speaking at the Prevost Stand Summit this past October. Now, once again, if you'd like to hear more content from our Prevost Stand Summit, you can visit prevotstand.org slash summit. And again, I want to encourage you as we enter this new year to make a commitment now to be a part of our Stand on the Word, a two-year journey through the Bible. Great for your family. You might even want to lead your, your business through it. Uh, your small group. You might even want to start a small group revolving around this two-year journey through the Bible. Find out more about it. Go to frc.org slash Bible. All right, once again, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.